Good morning. My name is Amir, and I will be doing today's scripture reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is, unified, whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Thank you, Amir. You read that with some emotion, too. That was excellent. Oh, fantastic. Uh, did you find those scripture verses as shocking to you as I found them to me? Very, almost as shocking as seeing me up here in Philadelphia Eagles colors. Did you find it is that very shocking what Amir just read? Let me explain the shirt real quick before any of you all mistakenly think I've jumped the boat from the Redskins. So Tony Willett, a young man right over back here at the end of the area is with his hand up. Tony, Tony started chemotherapy this past Monday, and his community group, his men's group, got together. And, uh, you know, we desire for our community groups to be like family. And that's what his group has done. They've been like a family. And they decided to, to rise up and show their support. And they all had these uh, T-shirts made, and, and they let the word out to some others. And so his whole group basically is all wearing this shirt. They had a picture taken out front just to show their support and love for Tony. So that's the, that's the reason I'm, I'm an... I don't know what Bobby said, but he said something. Anyway, just uh, <laughs> show support and love. And so I think it's just absolutely wonderful. And this is probably the only Sunday you ever see me in these colors. But uh, anyway, enjoy it while you can. So sh uh, sh shocking, the scripture verse. I, did you pick up on that? So Paul is saying sex in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he's, he's comparing, he's mixing the two together. I don't know about you, but that makes me a little uncomfortable. It's completely unexpected. I uh, didn't realize, and whoa, are you serious? Let's get into this. So um, we, if you've been here for a few weeks, you know that you know, we're starting, we started last week this series called Messy Relationship, and it's a mess. Um, some of us don't like messes. Me. I don't like a mess. I like things clean and orderly and neatly uh, put together. And what happens in the first four chapters of Corinthians, 
Paul really hammers on the foundation of the gospel. You know, he's really, you've got to understand the gospel because he knows that we're going to be getting into some very difficult issues, messy relationships, which you know this is what we're doing. So when you hit chapter 5, all of a sudden you've got this man, this incestuous relationship, right? And he's saying, throw the guy out of the church, you know, and all of a sudden it becomes a real mess. At some point throughout this series, you know, we did It's, it's Complicated, where we spent three weeks on that, and now we're in the mess. If at some point throughout this series you're not walking out irritated, agitated, offended, scratching your head, confused, there's a great chance that you haven't really thought deeply about the words of the Scripture because it, it's troubling. It makes us think. It's difficult. I think one of the worst places we could be, and this is, would be speaking to somebody who maybe has been in church for a lot of years, been in church like me, I've been in church all my life, is to say, oh yeah, gospel, I got that. I mean, that's kind of for beginners or people who aren't Christians, right? That's what the gospel is for. I've been in church all my life. I understand the gospel. We don't really need to go over that. That's about the worst position that you could ever possibly take. And Paul makes that so clear. The position to take appropriate with the gospel is I'm struggling and wrestling with the gospel every day. I know in my community group, we had probably one of the most liveliest discussions that we've had in two years all about the gospel. All about that, struggling. Here's what Martin Luther says about the gospel. I, uh, I put it on your outlines there for you. Martin Luther, the great reformer, says, preach the gospel every day to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Are you serious? That guy is as smart as all get out and knew his Bible front to back, start to finish. If he says we got to preach it every day to ourselves, there must be something that we need to realize. Look what he says also about the gospel. The gospel cannot be preached and heard enough or cannot be grasped well enough. If we don't walk out of here at least one Sunday out of the seven Sundays that we're into this series, the seven or eight Sundays we're into it, scratching our head and saying, what? Paul says the gospel is offensive. If we don't walk out of here one Sunday offended by the words that the Bible has said to us, we have missed the boat. It has to offend us. Has to, because that's what it says. We should struggle and be offended and be trying to grasp it. Peter spends three years with Jesus. He's 20 years into the ministry. He's leading the whole church. He can't figure out the gospel. Paul gets up in his face, toe to toe, and just hammers him. Very difficult thing. And now we come to this this week where Paul is saying, sex, gospel, comparing the two, whoa. Let's stop and pray, because if you don't need help, I know I do. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word is tremendous. The gospel, there's no floor on it. There's no, I mean, it goes so deep. Help us to understand more and more every day your gospel and to struggle with it for clarification, but also to see how it makes sense to all the difficult issues we face in life, like the difficult issues we're going to be talking about the next couple of weeks. In Christ's name, amen. I want to say one other thing about the gospel and our own need to struggle with it. You ever seen these, you know, these uh, documentaries they do on people who win the lottery? All of a sudden, they win $100 million. Look, if I win $100 million, I'm thinking I'm the happiest guy on the planet, right? That's the way it should be. I've just won a pot of gold. Now, what happens to those people who all of a sudden are handed a pot of gold, 100 million, 200 million? You've seen, you all watch TV? 
So you've seen what happens to them? I mean, like their whole life just derails. Because they received a pot of gold which they did not struggle for, and that's part of the equation, right? If, if we, this is the greatest pot of gold that, I mean, from God's standpoint, the greatest pot of gold we could ever receive, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We receive it without struggling for it every day. There's a problem. So we need to struggle with it every day. So here's, here's a big struggle. How does it compare to sex? Now, let me give you some background. The um, Corinthian church, the men, the married men in the Corinthian church were arguing for the right to have sex with prostitutes. They were arguing. The men in the church, like little board meeting or what, they didn't have board meetings, but okay, work with me. And they have little meetings, get together. we want to be able to have sex with prostitutes. I mean, everybody else has done it. We've always done it. What's the problem? What is the problem? It's a physical act. We're going to have sex with prostitutes. What is the big deal? And so um, this is where this is whole thing is coming from. And you need to understand this is that married men in Corinth weren't having sex with their wives. I mean, not frequently, very infrequently would they have sex with their wives. And there's two reasons why. And they both begin with the letter B, B, the letter B. First of all, sex with their wives was boring. It was boring. Now, remember, I'm talking about 2,000 years ago Corinthian men. Okay, so separate the message and the messenger for a second before anybody gets angry. So, boring, not going to have to, because boy, everybody knows that, you know, if I want to have fun, if I want to really have a great sexual time, then I go to the prostitutes. That's the first B, it's boring. The second B is babies, okay? So, you, they use prostitutes as birth control. That's why they went to prostitutes, because they didn't care if they became pregnant. And if your wife became pregnant, well, then you had to care for the child, and it just complicated every for them. And there was even laws back then that was, you know, the emperor was saying, you have to have sex with your wife, and you've got to produce a baby. So this was a problem. This is a pervasive problem, well-known. We have research that shows us this. They weren't having sex with their wives. It was boring, and there was babies involved, so they stopped having sex. And so here they come, and they say, we want to be able to do this. Now, did you catch this? Paul doesn't pull out the Bible on them. We want to go to prostitutes. What would you do if somebody walked into your community group or your church and said, hey, look, I'm married, but I you know, really don't with the sex with my wife anymore. I want to go to prostitutes. Would, you, would your inclination, if you're a church person, if you're a churched person, would your inclination be to pull out the scripture and say, well, here it is, chapter and verse, like Exodus 20. You know, would you do that? I would. Paul doesn't. Paul doesn't. Is that shocking? It's very shocking to me. The natural inclination of a follower of Christ in the United States of America say, oh, here's chapter and verse. This is why you shouldn't do it. And he doesn't do that. And he also doesn't do this. He doesn't say, oh, man, you guys are a bunch of sinners. What's wrong with y'all? He doesn't do that either. You know what he does? He starts talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He goes back to relationship, not the law. And notice this, Paul never goes to the law. For, for those of us in this room, like me, who are Bible thumpers, we're all, we love the Bible. We just love it, love it, read it all the time. Just really enjoy it. He never stands on the rules of the Bible for issues like this. Never, because he's a gospel person. And this is amazing that he doesn't do this. Now, I want to say a few things about sex, just real quick, before I really get into the deep message that sex has for us, and then how that compares to the gospel. Okay, so here we go. Oh, and let me say this. I didn't say this before. We're in a tough series. If this is, we're going to get, I'm not going to get too graphic. It's not like I'm going to show videos today. But uh, we, if this makes you uncomfortable, 
rather than getting up in the middle of everything, or just if this makes you uncomfortable, you know, in a moment, just gently slip out because we're into some serious content, okay? All right. All right, God commands sex. You know, people have an opinion that God is sexually repressed, that God is embarrassed by people having sex, that, you know, the church is repressed. Totally untrue, incredibly untrue. Uh, God is commanding sex here. He he, he does this in Genesis chapter 1. It is the very first command in the entire Bible. Exodus 20, we talk about the Ten Commandments. They're not the first commandments, everybody. That that is the law given to Moses up up on the mount, okay? But the very first command given to a man and a woman is this right here, Genesis chapter 1, be fruitful and multiply. There's only one way I know to do that. Okay, so he's saying, go have sex. This is what he's telling them to do. Very clear. Now, Paul comes back around that in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. We didn't read 7, but if you would read a little bit farther, you would see that he's saying, because the married men of Corinth weren't having sex with their wives, he says, and he uses this word, I, I don't want to explain the word right now, but there's a reason behind it. He says, it's your duty, like it's your spiritual duty. Have sex, come on. Now, that might not sound like the most sexiest thing for a husband to say to a wife, hey, come on, wife, let's, I, I really want to help me be biblical today. Let's, let's go in the bedroom and let's do our duty, right? All right, but the same, the, the idea is that it's commanded and it's clearly commanded. So God, command, he's not embarrassed by sex, he commands. Here's the second thing. God teaches us how to have great sex. The father is not up there with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and a bunch of angels, and he sees a husband and wife having sex, and he's like, oh, Jesus, cover your eyes. I can't believe they're doing this again. This is terrible. You know, just tell us, Holy Spirit, when this whole thing is over. This is not what's happening. <laughs> God invents sex. He commands sex. He's all by, he teaches. Oh, my gosh. Are you serious? He teaches. Jesus is like the teacher, like the love doctor, teaching a husband and wife how to have great sex. We have an entire book in the Bible called the Song of Solomon, eight chapters long about how to have great sex. I'm going to read you a short excerpt of this. I've broken this out. I'm going to first give you what the wife says, the husband, then the husband, and then finally somebody else speaks. Look what happens. This is the wife speaking. She says, awake, north wind, rise up. And that could do any hand motions. Awake, north wind, rise up. This is what she's saying. She's seducing him. Rise up, south wind. Blow on my garden and spread its fragrance all around. Come into your garden, my love. Taste its finest fruits. How many husbands in this room would love to be seduced by their wives like that? Don't say a word. You're right, husbands, for not saying a word because (laughs) the hell that you would suffer would be incredible. Uh, He responds... Look, what, it, what is he saying? I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and milk. <laughs> Wonder what that old boy's just done. Then somebody else speaks. Who's speaking? God. Look what God says. God says, eat, friends, and drink. Drink your fill of love. God is encouraging it. All right, so those are two things I need you to know. Here's sex... Sex, God's way, sends a message. This is super important, okay? And this, isn't meant, this is not meant in one second to make anybody feel bad. This, I don't, whatever, I'm not into that, all right? I'm going to lift up to you, there's a message clearly in the Bible about sex that Paul lifts up, this is what we're going to do. It's not intended 
to insult anybody, anger anybody, dirty anybody, anything like that. Right? But here it is. We should still talk about this. There's a message that comes about it. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 15 and 16 says this. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with the prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said that two will become one flesh. So sex sends a message. Sex, God's way, sends a message. I have included you multiple times. It happens in Genesis 2, Mark 10, Matthew 19, and Ephesians chapter 5. The same words, basically, that I have just read happens over and over and over in the Bible. It's saying that the two people, when they have sex, are uniting together. They're coming together as one flesh and being united. That word for unite is to be glued together. Sex is like glue. When I was a kid, we had crazy glue. Okay? And then they came out with something called Gorilla Glue. Right? Now, the, the, the strongest glue, at least on the market, I guess, is called Monster Glue. Well, that's what sex is between a husband and a wife. It is Monster Glue. It glues the two of them together in a very strong, strong way. This is why if you were to take two things, whatever you take, and you put some really strong glue on them between the two, and then you rip them apart, what happens? Okay, well, this is pretty easy. What happens when you rip the two apart and add strong glue? There's pieces of both elements on the other. It rips, shreds away. So when, when, when a man and a woman have a baby, do you see pieces of each of them in that baby? Okay, you see pieces. I see pieces of both me and my wife and our children. That's glue. The two come together and you're glued together. Here's the first message. Please write this down. Message number one, sex God's way, is what you're saying to the person is, I am permanently yours. Sex God's way is what you're saying to that person you're having sex with, if you, if you want to do this in a biblical way, all right, is you're saying, I'm permanently yours. I'm yours. Perman I'm gluing myself to you. You're it. We're it. Together, I am permanent with you. Why is it that when couples are getting romantic, they're getting physical, you know, they're just getting heated up, whatever is going on, why is it that in that midst of that moment, of that romance, of that sexual, that physical moment, why is there a strong impulse between couples to say things like, I love you forever? Where does that come from? What, why is it even couples who maybe not even know each other that well. Why is all of a sudden they have this, oh, baby, I'm yours forever. Why? What's the, what's the whole thing? Why does that happen? The reason that happens is, is that God wired us that way. Because that's the way sex is supposed to work. It's this wiring. Oh, why do I feel like I, mean, I don't even know her that well? I love you forever. Because it's a strong impulse that we have through sex to say forever. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to prove this point, and I'm going to use love songs to do it. We have three different love songs. We're going to play them we want you to guess the artist. I'm going to play three for you. I want you to guess the artist. Just yell it out. If you get it right, we have hidden an elephant in this room. <laughs> if you can find the hidden elephant with the boa on it in this room and you go there after the service, we have a very special prize for you. So, uh, Ben, let's go with track number one and just yell out the artist. If you happen to know. Does anybody know the name of the artist? And what is she singing about? How long will I love you? Always, always. I'm always love you. Turn it up louder, Ben. They can't hear it. All right, very good. Okay, we got it. That's enough. Thank you. Very good. So I will. All, how long will I love you? I'll love you always. Now, now, here. This, these are off the billboard. You know, these are their who their greatest love songs. Listen to this second one. 
All right, this is this is fantastic. Please I'll roll the tape. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes. Let's just listen to this for a moment. I know you love Elvis as much as I do. Yeah. Love me. What's he singing about? Love me true. All my dreams For my Here it comes. Darling, I love you. If you know you can sing it out with him. How, how, how long will I always love you? Always, always, all the way to the end of time. Thank you, Ben, very much. Let's go with it. Now, this, this final one, everybody. The number one love song of all time, according to Billboard Records. Please, there's two artists singing on this. Tell me if you can name them both. Let it roll back. You mean the world to me. Oh, yeah. Who is it? The great Lionel Richie, just out in concert at Patriot Center just recently. With who? Who's singing with him? And the title of the song? Endless love. It's endless love, right? They're not even, they're, I mean, they're not even in church singing about this. They're just, right? It's endless love. The words of it says, you will always be my endless love forever. I'll hold you close in my arms. I can't resist your charms. Thank you very much, Ben. You're a good man. Very good. So do you get the point? Sex is glue. It's monster glue. What the Bible is encouraging between a husband and wife is you can't have enough sex. You can't have enough sex. You should have sex all the time because, because it creates this monster glue bond. It strengthens your relationship. Now, listen, I'm, I'm not an idiot. I know that there's other things. I, I hope no husband would go home and say, okay, well, we just had sex, so we have a great relationship. Obviously, there's other things you have to do too, all right? There's, uh, that's obvious, okay? But it's, 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 it's important. You might have seen a couple years ago, there was a pastor down in uh, Texas, of all, but he slept in a bed on the top of his church with his wife for a whole week to emphasize that they do crazy, they're crazy people down in Texas, right? <laughs> I had news crew up there. He's having a week in the bed with his wife, whatever, just nuts. But the, the whole, where, where that all is coming from, everybody, is sex is like monster glue. It strengthens that relationship. And what God is urging, commanding, he's begging married couples to have more and more and more sex because of the positive impact it has on the relationship. Do you all know what DINs are? D-I-N-S. What are DINs? All right, come on. Dual income, what? No sex couples, right? So uh, according to reports, according to reports, America has a problem with married couples. We have dual income, no sex couples, and it's undermining the marriage. This isn't the Bible I'm reading from. This is Newsweek magazine that did a report a few years ago. We have a problem in America. We have dual income, no sex couples, and the no sex is creating a problem in the marriage. This is why God says, and this is why God's the authority. He knows that sex is very important. It's monster glue in the relationship. Let's go to the second point. Second point is this. Number two that it sends is I am completely yours. I'm not partially yours. I'm not a little bit yours. I'm completely yours. I'm glued together. I'm stuck with you. I'm completely yours. It's super glue. What they were arguing in Corinth is they said this. The first line that Amir read this morning, they said this I have the right to do anything. And Paul did not argue that right, did he? Did you pick up on that? He didn't say, No, you don't have the right to do anything. He said, Yeah, okay, you have the right to do anything you want. But what did he say? But is it beneficial? 
Is, be- is it beneficial? Look, nobody from this stage today is in any way, shape, or fashion trying to make you feel guilty about you have a sex as many people as you want. Man, just go for it. Just enjoy yourself. What Paul's saying is, but is that benefiting you? How's that working out for you? What their argument was is this leads us to greater and greater and greater freedom. We're becoming who we're supposed to be by having sex as often as we want with as many women as we want. And Paul says, yeah, but is that really beneficial? That's what he says. Is it benefiting you? Is it really? Because he says, it, what it seems to me is it's leading you into greater bondage. Now, is that true? Let me tell you the way the Corinthian male mind. The American male mind in this room does not think this way. But the Corinthian male mind, this is the way it thought. So sex is great. Women are great. More women are even greater. So sex with more women is awesome. It's the greatest thing I could possibly do. Do you, you follow that? And no man in this room feels that way, thinks that would ever think that way. But they did 2,000 years ago. Very primitive. This is the way they thought. And what Paul is saying is actually you're not increasing your freedom, you're decreasing your freedom, you're falling into bondage. I know it seems right, but it's not working. And your own lives are bearing witness to that fact. Now, do we have anything that backs that up? I want to try to do uh, something just real quick to illustrate a point about it being complete. I have a friend of mine, a very wealthy friend of mine, and I called him this past week. I said, I need a $100 bill. I need Actually, I need two $100 bills. I need one for the 9.30 service, one for the 11 o'clock service. I need you to put it in an envelope with me and mark it because I need to give the $100 bill away. So I know some of you uh, are on furlough. So whoever, the first three people that come down front who would want the $100, come on down, I'm going to give you a $100 bill. Who wants the $100? You all good. One person, thank you very much. We have first contestant. Next contestant, we have another contestant over here. Okay, so no guys. All the guys that are wealthy here this morning, nobody needs a $100 bill. Okay, all the way down from the top, here we come. So there's a $100 bill uh, right in here. And what I'm going to try to do, uh, maybe with some of your help, is look at all these rich people who didn't, didn't need the money. Is that an incredible man's $100 bill? What do you think, I'm lying up here or something? Oh, goodness gracious, I would have broke somebody's neck to get down here. But that's all right. Um, who should I give the $100 bill to? Who should I give the $100 bill to? Do you have any reasons why I should give? You have a new baby, relatively new baby. Furloughed? Furloughed? Or just want the $100 bill? <laughs> the problem that I thought I would encounter as I got up here, as I looked at these three beautiful young women, is that it would be hard for me to decide who gets the $100 bill. So I think the easiest thing to do is for me to give each of you a piece of the $100 bill. And there you go. And now all of you have the $100 bill. Thank you very much. Can we give them a round of applause? We're, We're done. Is that good? Is it... There wasn't a $100 bill in there just for those of you, because I knew if I really put one in there, I'd get in trouble. So it was nothing in there. It was a piece of paper in there. Uh, what have I done to the $100 bill? Ruined it. Yeah, I decreased its value. Now, unless those three people get together and they, they you know, tape the $100 bill together and they all share it some way, right? They somehow come to some kind of agreement how they're going to share it. I have decreased its value. This is the same message that God is sending us about sex completely yours, not a piece, not a portion. And what happens is, is that when we have sex with lots of people, we glue together with that person, we pull away, we glue together, we pull away, and we carry pieces. Now, but we've given away pieces of ourselves. We've given away pieces of ourselves. And so now here I finally come to the 10th person in my line of people that I'm having sex with, and 
wondering why I feel less of myself. And the person's wondering why they feel like they can't get all of me. And I think that I'm heading towards freedom, and actually I'm decreasing my freedom. I'm not everything that I am supposed to be. Why is it, everybody? Think about loneliness for a second. Why, why, why did God invent sex? Doesn't it have to do something with dealing with loneliness? It doesn't sex in some shape or fashion. Didn't, if you think about the scripture, everybody, doesn't, did, didn't God invent sex to deal with our loneliness? So he looks at Adam. He's alone. He said, this is not good. It's the first negative statement ever made in the Bible. God makes it. This is not good. Adam's alone. I'm going to create Eve. And then the first thing I'm going to say to them, go have sex. Didn't God invent sex to deal with our loneliness? So why is it, why is it that we hear people say who've had sex with lots and lots and lots and lots of people, why, do, why don't we hear them say, hey, man, I am just, I don't feel lonely at all. Why do we hear people who have sex with lots and lots of people say, you know what, I feel very lonely. The more sex I have with all these people, the lonelier I feel. Where's that coming from, everybody? Where's that coming from? Because God invented sex for two people to mutually, exclusively come together, to be glued together, right? And to not rip off and then share pieces after pieces after pieces after pieces, but two people to be completely and entirely for each other. Let's just talk uh, about, well, let me, in a second, I want to talk about porn. Let me say one last thing about sex. You would think that the, the best sex would be going on in, in college campuses, wouldn't you? or on a cruise ship, or on singles bars, or something where people are just, whoo, I mean, they're just doing, I mean, that's awesome, right? That's what the TV would tell us. But do you know that studies show that the best sex in America is going on in the bedroom of married couples? Do you realize that? Who would have guessed that? I wouldn't have guessed that. The best sex in America, according to studies, is going on in a boring married couple's bedroom. Think about that. Because we can't get around this way that God wired us. There's a message behind sex. Sorry, we, we, can't, we can't subvert, we can't get ourselves around that. Now, Washington, D.C. has a m major porn issue. We've talked about it. We're not going to go deeply into this issue. But Washington, D.C. has a problem with pornography. There's been studies and reports done about this. Do you realize that some of the gangs that operate in the United States of America and that have come to Washington, D.C. no longer run drugs or weapons? They've decided to give up the drugs. Washington Post just did a piece on this. They decided, let's stop running drugs and weapons. Peddling young girls, young teenage girls sexually is so lucrative in Washington, D.C. Let's give up the drugs and the weapons and let's push girls. One of the most popular spots is in Herndon, Virginia. We have a major, major, we're major consumers of pornography. And they say, well, John, what, what, what in the world could be wrong with pornography? How could, how could I lose myself? And how could I be losing my freedom by pornography? I mean, I mean other, if we want to get past the idea of the, the, who could not be happy, all right, could not be happy, the girl in the video could not be happy. All right, let's get past that. But if I don't worry about that, how could, how could that cause me a problem any way, shape, or form, right? Other than the fact that you might you know, lose your job and lose your marriage and lose your money and lose your reputation, and do you all remember when you used to lose your eyesight by looking at pornography? Does anybody old enough in the room remember that you'll go blind if you look at pornography? Anybody? No, we're too young of a crowd, okay? You lose your eyesight. Well, what about this? Ready for this one? Because right, porn is just leading more women, more sex is freedom. That's what it is, right? How about this one? You lose your desire for sex. How about this one? You lose, lose your ability 
to sexually perform as a male if you watch too much pornography. Anybody turned you on that, to that fact? Has anybody turned you on to that fact? Anybody seen the TED Talk on pornography? Anybody here? TED Talk? No, nobody likes TED Talks? Okay, scientific research is showing us that, the, that, that, that males in the world today, it's just so at our fingertips. Click of a button, boom, there it is. You know, you could have sex with 50 women in one night. Okay? That, that the male brain today is going numb. Okay? And so men can't even perform. You know what I'm talking about, can't perform. It, it, the brain has gone, it's gone numb sexually. Now why in the world do you think we have so many commercials for ED? Why if you're an alien that lands on this planet and you're watching a football game, do you think that the major problem that the United States American male is suffering is ED? My son, who is a, a sports fanatic, when he was 11 years old, I'll never forget the day he come walking up our steps, he was watching some football games, and he's singing, Viva Viagra! <laughs> he doesn't know what Viagra, he had no idea, but you know what, he had heard it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. How can, how can, you, how can you listen to sports radio and not know about Cialis and Viagra or some doctor who's going to either, well, okay. How can, you, how, 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 how can you not know that? And so what happens is, is uh, the American male is, is losing. So there's a whole movement, guys. I'm not talking about church, okay? Let's forget church and the Bible and you feeling, oh, don't tell me I'm a sinner. Crap. I'm not doing that. There's a whole movement today amongst men in this world who are giving up pornography. It has nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with their ED problem. And so they are giving it up. They say, I can't watch it anymore because I no longer can perform. Now, does this come back to the Bible? Because this is what the Bible's up. I know we love to, the people in the world love to trash the Bible and all this kind of stuff. Uh, look, it works. It works over and over and over again. It simply works. Sex is glue, and sex is where you become more of yourself, not less of yourself. All right, all right let me just conclude this, this way about the gospel. So what in the world does it have to do with the gospel? The gospel sends the same message. Message number one of the gospel is the gospel is permanent. So he says in verse 16 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, this is where all this is going to come together, and this is why he talks about the gospel. He says, the gospel is permanent. He says, you've been united with Christ. You've been glued together with Christ, not temporarily, glued together, but you've been permanently glued together with Christ. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you were believed, you were marked in him with a seal. You know what a seal is back then? It was glue. It's how they glued together an envelope. Sealed. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, permanently sealed. All right? Don't break the seal. The promised Holy Spirit. Who is what? A deposit doing what? What's the word? guaranteeing, guaranteeing your inheritance. So we studied uh, chapter 5 last week, an incestuous guy. Um, who likes the incestuous guy? He's, so Paul says, throw the incestuous bum out of church. It's my paraphrase. Throw the bum out of church. And some of us might say, oh, I don't know, man. Are we allowed to judge? 
Let me help you out a little bit. More than likely, the guy was sexually abusing his stepmom. He was sexually... Anybody into sexual abuse? Anybody think sexual abuse is okay? I'm all for throwing the bum out of the church. Because if anybody here thinks it's sexual abuse and hurting somebody physically and dominant, you think that's okay to abuse somebody, that's completely wrong. And Paul says, we're drawing the line, throw the bum out. But you know what he says? What did he say at the end? Throw him out of the church, throw him to Satan so that he can be what? What's the word? Who caught it? Saved. Are you kidding me? How can that guy be saved? You know how he can be saved? Because he's been glued to Jesus Christ permanently. That's how he can be saved. He's permanent. Even the bum is permanently glued to Jesus Christ. Let me give you another one. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you've been sealed for the day of redemption. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, which we studied a few weeks ago, uh, Paul says there are people who are actually destroying the church of Christ. They're doing a terrible, terrible thing. They're destroying the church. And he says they're going to pay for it. They're going to pay for what they're doing. They're going to burn. They're going to burn in fires of, 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 of judgment. But in the end, they will be saved. You know why they'll be saved? Because it's permanent. Let me give you one last one. Second Corinthians chapter one. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy was not yes and no, but in him it has always been just yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. No, it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal, there it is again, of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing, there's that word again, what is to come. So here's the thing. If, if our salvation is all about forgiveness, everybody, I love forgiveness. It's awesome. We all need to be forgiven. But you do know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not simple about forgiveness. It's about a status change, a permanent change of your status. If it is only about forgiveness, you get forgiveness and you feel great, you've been washed, you've been clean, you've been sanctified, all that's happened, and then what, is ha- what happens tomorrow? What happens tomorrow when you go out in the, in, in the world? What happens? Do you sin again? Yes, you do. So, so what's happened? It's like, okay, yes, you're saved. Oh no, oh no, look, he's getting ready to sin again. A, a woman walked past him in a short skirt. Oh my gosh, he's, he's out. He's out. Maybe he can work his way back in. He's working his way back in. He's beating himself really hard. Okay, he's in. Okay, no, he's out. He's in. He's out. No, no, no. That's not the way it works. Forgiveness is an awesome thing, but if this is just about forgiveness, then you need to get forgiven all the time. Uh, You might as well show up at the church office every day, morning, noon, and night, and repent and do confession if that's what it's about. But it's not about forgiveness, although forgiveness is absolutely awesome. You have a permanent status change. You realize that, don't you? A permanent status change is what has happened here. It's permanent what has taken place. The gospel is like glue. Second message is the gospel is complete. Same as sex. I'm completely yours. What Jesus Christ is saying, he's given himself completely. He hasn't given part of himself. He's given himself absolutely completely. Let me read some verses and ask you some questions. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. What is this curse, everybody? What's this curse that Jesus Christ suffered? What is that? Isaiah 53 says, For he was cut off from the land of living. What was he cut off from? He's been cursed. He's been cut off. What is this? 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, speaking of Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He became sin. What does that mean? Does that mean he became a sinner? Did Jesus become a sinner? 
Because it doesn't seem like he became a sinner. Remember when he was hanging on the cross and he had the one thief on one side and one thief on the other and the cross is reserved only for the worst of the worst and so everybody, all three of them are considered the worst of the worst and the one guy on the one side is like just cussing at Jesus and tell you deserve this, I hate you, I can't stand you and this guy on this guy says, tells the other thief, shut up. And then he says to Jesus, you know, could you remember me when you get in your kingdom? And what does Jesus say? Now, Jesus became a sinner. What was it, what was his response been as he's dying there on a cross? The guy says, oh, could you please remember me? Well, I'm thinking if he's a sinner, he'd say, man, would you just, may you burn in hell, you filthy rotten. Say, Isn't that what he would have done? Uh, aren't, don't, you all get cranky when you haven't ate or slept enough. Jesus has just been beat almost to death. He doesn't become a sinner, he becomes sin. And what does that mean to become sin? That's the question. What does that mean to become sin? Isaiah 59, 2. It is your sins that have done what? They have cut you off from God. Ah, now we're getting somewhere. Because of your sins, he has turned away. Now we're getting somewhere. Jesus Christ became a curse. He became sin. What does all that speak to? The curse always speaks the same thing. Sin always speaks to the same thing. The loss of relationship. Jesus Christ lost his relationship with the Father. And that's why he says in Matthew 27, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, Jesus almost always called God his Father, our Father who art in heaven. And all of a sudden he says, He is a Father, Father. He says, My God, my God. Very impersonal. Why have you turned your back on me? Jesus Christ lost his relationship with the Father. The curse is always about a loss of relationship. Now, here's the question. Ready? Where did that relationship go? Where did the perfect relationship that Jesus Christ have on the cross go? 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. I want to conclude by saying this, and I really want you to think about this for a second. You ever seen somebody who had a great relationship with their father or maybe their grandfather? And so many of us in this room haven't had a great relationship with our fathers or our grandfathers or whatever. And that relationship is so very important. And you saw that relationship growing up, and you said, man, I, I wish I had that. Some of us have had um, fathers or grandfathers who have rejected us, who have said uh, demeaning things about us, hurtful things, things that right now, right now you can remember. It happened 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, and right now you can remember it. I can. Burn straight into you. And you look at that relationship, man, I wish I had that perfect relationship. And you look at Jesus and his relationship that he had with the Father through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you say, wow, I wish I had that relationship. Well, where did that relationship go? Because he lost it. So where did it go? It went to you. It went to you. You permanently have that relationship now. Remember when Jesus is being baptized? We get this like four or five times in the Gospels. A voice comes from heaven. says, this is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. With him I'm well pleased. You need to know this, everybody. Through the Gospel of Jesus Christ, those are the words that the Father is speaking over you for all of eternity. I am well pleased with you. I am well pleased with you. You're my son. You're my daughter, and I'm well pleased with you. You have that relationship. Now, maybe you're not functioning because the Corinthians weren't functioning with that understanding. And what Paul is trying to say to them through the gospel and through the message that sex sends is you have that. Maybe you didn't get that from your earthly father. You have that 
from your almighty heavenly Father today, and you must know that and live in that. Now listen, we've said some tough stuff today, and some of us are feeling pretty bad right now, feeling like we've done things sexually and we're embarrassed by that, and we're like, man, I, you know, I've already done this. How can I go back? It's already, it's already been done. Here's the thing. You know, people in this world would be ready to tell you that you're a sinner and you've blown it and, man, you can't go all this. Let me tell you about God. God is a redeemer. God is a restorer. God renews. He does not destroy. God is not creating all new things. He's making what he's already created brand new. And you need to know today that if you feel bad for things you've done, that God loves you. And he's saying through the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you'll embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, he wants to speak those words over you. And that he can help all the pain and all the rejection and all the things you've done. He can help you to wash those away and bring healing to you. Now, who doesn't want to hear from their heavenly father, I am well pleased with you? What a wonderful thing to hear. I just want to say in conclusion, our prayer team, they've been praying all summer about this series. Some of us this morning, we don't need to end this service, get up and go out and have something to eat. What we need to instead to do is we need to walk over this wall, meet one of the prayer team members, and say, you know what, I'm ready to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am ready to hear from my heavenly Father, this is my son, this is my daughter, and with you I'm well pleased. You need to hear that, you need to hear that. They need to ask that prayer team member, say, I just need to hear that, that God would echo that in my soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word's powerful and practical and so wonderful. I will pray all over this room this morning, there are those of us who have wounded, broken hearts because of things that have been said to us by a father or a grandfather or because of things that we've done. And maybe it's a combination of all that. And I thank you, Lord, that you... Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you speak over every son and daughter in this room today. You want to give us that message that you're well pleased with us. Help us to embrace. Help us to open our hearts to that today and not to reject you or walk away from you. And for those of us who are hurting because we've done things sexually, Lord, remind us today how much you love us, that you want to do nothing but redeem us and heal us and bring us comfort and hope. Help us today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here. We're doing Grace in Five over here. If you're right over Derek's got his hand up. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.